0: Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Welcome to another episode of the Heartland After Dark podcast. I am Joe Tillery, joined once again by my co-host Derek Duke. Derek, what's going on with you, man? How you doing?
1: Oh, doing good, Joe. Uh, still, still in Florida for the next few days. Made the trip out to Orlando for the UCF game, Baylor game, uh, on Saturday and s- decided to stick around uh, Florida for a few days. So headed over to Daytona Beach for the rest of the week. And uh, so far, so good, man. Can't complain.
0: That sounds a lot better than the middle of Kansas right now, but I tell you what, we've got a show to talk about for you guys today. I want to start it off here. I foregoed the beer today. I'm actually rocking just an ice cold. Dr. Pepper needed some caffeine in my life, had a bad caffeine headache today, so I jumped on the soda train. Derek, what do you have in your hand this morning?
1: Today I am, I actually, it's about, uh, so we're doing this about 11, 11 o'clock Florida time here, but... Never too early to crack a beer. So I'm drinking something from Sideward Brewing Company or from Orlando. It's called the Ghost Pig Czech Lager. Uh, pretty good. It's actually my first stop uh, when I hit the uh, hit the ground in Orlando. That was my first place to get a beer from. So I decided to buy a whole six-pack from them.
0: That sounds killer. Plus, always cool taking away something from each state you travel to at the beer front. But let me start off here. You had an awesome trip. I saw the pictures on social media, all everything going on with tailgating with the actual game the game was insane. And I know that you were there live boots on the ground for it. Let's talk about your experience at the Baylor UCF game.
1: It was definitely a unique experience. Um, Man, I I told you, I think last week on the podcast that I had not sat in the stands for a college football game in about 10 years almost. So uh, for for me to to finally break that streak for a game like this was incredible and got to sit with my wife as well. So I I hate leaving her in the stands by herself, but (laughs) Uh, well, I'm up in the press box, but I started to sit with her and just kind of get a fan's experience from it, and it was uh, absolutely incredible. I mean, the moment we got, we stepped on campus, uh, we did a park and ride kind of thing, so they just drop you off. You're right in the middle of the tailgate scene, and it, it's definitely cool how they have kind of separated the tailgates. So there's pretty much one called Memory Mall, which is like it's like three football fields long, which it feels like. I don't Sheesh. know if it actually is of just like students tailgating. Uh, I th- think I wrote in my um, my article about how it smelled like you know beer pee and bait pens but it really in reality it smells like that's what college football is supposed to smell like uh from the students so it was definitely a unique experience and then all the all the tailgating from the alumni the fans um i mean there were just tents everywhere i got a chance to talk to a few fans as well uh, and they just really thanked us for being there and i think the overall take from them is just everybody was so grateful even for baylor people that were visiting just thankful for them being there thank you for visiting and uh, the moment was definitely, it was definitely special. And of course, you know, walking through East East Plaza Drive um, with the palm trees and the stores. I mean, they have, they had like two places to get beer right before you literally walk in the stadium that are just selling beer outside. So that's something you don't typically see um, on campus, but it was definitely a unique experience as I'd like to say, I keep saying, but uh, truly one of a kind. If you ever are considering going to a big 12 venue, Um, I think UCF should be definitely on your on your list of trips to do there because and even Orlando itself. And again, I know people want to think Disneyland and Universal Studios and all these tourist attractions. But if you're at UCF, it's on the completely opposite side of town. You're not anywhere close to that. But uh, downtown Orlando, that was kind of a, a definitely an experience. I won't forget because there's so many cool things to do that I had never seen before in my previous visits here just because. You know, this is the first time I've actually gone here, not go to one of the parks, but I definitely will highly recommend anybody check it out. It was definitely a fun trip.
0: Well, selfishly, I am curious also for a quick mini review of VIP Seltzer's Bounce Berry Blast Hard Seltzer. I saw that on on Twitter, and I was, or X, I should say, I saw that, and I was absolutely foaming at the mouth, wanting one. So, what did you think of the Bounce Berry Blast Seltzer?
1: It's it's a little sweet. I'll be honest with you, yeah. it's a little bit sweet, but. It's actually got real vodka in it, so I do appreciate anybody that does that. Anytime you have the real vodka in there, I do like that. Overall, not bad at all, and I think it, the prices inside were pretty affordable. I can't remember. I think it was maybe like $9 for that, hmm. uh, but you can still get a pretty tall be- uh, beer. I think it's like mm, anywhere from like 7 to $8 for certain pints of beer you can get there,
0: so definitely uh, budget-friendly on the wallet. That's great to hear, man. That's awesome. Uh, well, let's jump on the football thing, man. That was one of the most ridiculous games I've ever watched. I was actually covering that, and it was nuts from start to finish. I mean, this game was one where you saw it, everybody saw it. Baylor rallies back, 36-35 win, the biggest comeback win in Baylor history, I found out this week. Derek, what would you think of the overall experience at the game? How was the game, and what would you take away from it?
1: The crowd was into it from before kickoff everybody was feeling it uh i truly got to experience why it was called the bounce house because the place literally shakes all game long so uh, definitely i've never been anywhere like that for sure because you can definitely feel it uh from your from your feet down up to your head but i think the game itself really just a tale of it's almost like two games in one just how crazy it happened i mean ucf was all over baylor for about almost three full quarters there i believe but it was I don't know. It's hard to describe something because I don't think – can. trying to think of anything to compare it to, but I don't think I can because I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I mean, for UCF to be up 35-7 to with about four minutes left in the third quarter and somehow lose that game, I mean, that's just – it's inexcusable and it's really unexplainable. I mean, UCF from the moment – I mean, the first quarter kicked off, you know, Johnny Richardson had that long 79-yard touchdown run. Uh UCF seemed like they were scoring on every possession. They had that. And then all of a sudden in the third quarter, Baylor just starts like chipping away. And it wasn't like it was like necessarily one play. It was just little bit after a little bit. And the best way I can kind of think of it is it was like an axeman chopping down a tree. Just every swing was just cutting down that tree until the tree eventually fell. And that's exactly what happened here because Baylor on every single possession of the second half. They got points. UCF only scored one time in the second half. Um, I mean, Baylor scored 26 points in the fourth quarter, and UCF scored zero. I mean, that I I don't think I've ever seen a quarter go like that in my entire life, and maybe we never will. And you mentioned it's the largest comeback in Baylor history, so very incredible. And I'll say the difference that Blake Shapen has on this offense is – is very telling because sawyer robinson no offense to him there's no way he would have completed that comeback like they did and and credit to baylor you know they stuck with the run game for throughout the whole game they didn't shy away from it at all uh you can tell they were definitely the aggressor uh in that last you know in the last i guess 20 15 to 20 minutes of that game uh because it showed for ucf that's just for as great as everything was inside and outside the stadium, uh, what happened on the field, if you're a UCF fan, had to be absolutely disgusting because that that's not how that game was supposed to end after the way it started.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, that was just an absolute gut punch. Like, touching on the UCF side, and I, I don't want to put the blame on any one specific person because it's not one person's fault. It's the whole collective. The team kind of takes a giant – you know, they take an exhale and they all just kind of relax, and then you allow Baylor to get momentum back. And of course, that's how it always ends. It seems to be once the momentum swings, it is an awful lot to get it back in your favor. UCF needs Plumlee back pretty bad, and I don't want to put it on Timmy McLean because he played a great first half, played you know solid until the comeback started happening. But the only thing I'm seeing is the small, young quarterback mistakes. You know, it's holding onto the football too long, passing up throws that you can just get a quick five yards, six yards, or the. I have to wait till I know I have a guy open situation. And then that's where you give up a big sack. You know, you saw it last week against Kansas State. You saw it this week again against Baylor. They need a veteran quarterback to step in and just wind the clock in the end. I mean, just know and be comfortable with that situation. And it's no slight to Timmy McLean. I mean, he's played good football for UCF. He had that crazy Michael Vick-esque play to extend the drive on what would have been the game-winning drive for UCF. But they should have never been in that situation in the first place. You know, you got one of the best rushing attacks ever. Sorry, I'll let you jump say, in. Here. No,
1: I'll say this, Joe. That one you mentioned the the play, like you know, he was Michael Vick, and it's credible that was. Right before that, um, the most of the complaints I heard just coming from the stands were on a particular third down play when UCF was trying to kind of put the game to bed, and it was, I believe it was like third and short, and they snapped the ball to I believe it was R.J. Harvey. They snapped mm-hmm. the ball to their running back instead of giving it to Timmy McLean uh, and letting him try to make a play. They snap it to their running back. It just goes bad. And then I think Caden Jenkins from Baylor picks it up and goes like 70 yards the other way for a touchdown. I mean, that right there was definitely the backbreaking moment yeah. of
0: this game. Yeah. I mean, what are you doing? You know, why are you putting your running back in on a wild? Card? I get that it's a it's a chance that we're a big play, but you're adding in. I'm obviously now looking back at it, it's gonna be significantly different in hindsight's 2020, but you're adding in so much extra margin for error, having a running back take the snap versus your starting quarterback or your backup quarterback, excuse me. It doesn't really make sense decision-wise. That was a bad situation. But then again, if R.J. Harvey just catches the snap, he probably gets a yard or two and gets the first down. But you have an athletic quarterback in Timmy McLean that is capable of getting one or two yards scrambling, checking it down, whatever he needs to do. That was kind of a questionable decision to see. I mean, they didn't ever really put out Baylor's fire. They kind of just kept throwing sticks on it and hoping that eventually somehow it would smolder out. That was kind of the takeaway. UCF has to win that game. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna compete in the Big 12, that's a game where you got to win. You know what I mean? You can't give up. I mean, any team really. It's inexcusable at that point. But this should hopefully be a learning lesson for the squad to never take your foot off the gas. I think that should be a good lesson going forward. And I'm interested to see how both teams respond. Moving on here to BYU Cincinnati. Now, this was a good game to watch, Derek. I know you were out, you know, at the UCF Baylor game. I don't know which games you had a ton of time to watch or not, but I figure you probably caught wind of some of the stuff going on with each game. What did you think about the BYU Cincinnati game? Definitely an oddball uh, of games. Uh,
1: Matthew Postons was out there, and I will say some of the photos that he shared uh, at Lavelle Edwards Stadium were absolutely beautiful. He got, Luckily, he got to see it before the snow came in because last year uh, I made a stop to Provo, and it was just covered in snow, which was really cool to see, but I do like seeing the mountaintops from the stadium. That was pretty neat. This game was just really weird. Just – I'm not really even sure what to say about this because if you look at everything, <laughs> if you look at the stat sheet and every which way the game went, you, or Cincinnati, excuse me, should have won the game. Um, because if you look at the – I believe there's a guy on uh, Twitter named Parker, Parker Fleming. He does this thing where he takes the statistics from each game and he goes, did we really get beat that bad? Mm-hmm. And it separates the teams. I don't know if you've seen it before, Joe you know it goes from the low end to the high end of where these teams should have won for instance like michigan was the number 1 team this week they put a beating down on nebraska that gap was huge however if you look at the last game on that chart BYU and cincinnati are the very last teams the last two uh, teams on that chart and cincinnati is actually ahead of BYU <laughs> and and so it's crazy to see for me to see something like that as far as cincinnati goes I'll say this before I get to BYU. Emery Jones, I still that pick six that early in the game, I thought that was just a, a tone setting for the game mm-hmm. right off the bat because that was backbreaking. and we've seen him make these mistakes before. This is not something that just happened. We saw it in the Oklahoma game. We've seen it in the Miami-Ohio game. Whenever he's in control of this offense, and I don't know whether it's the receivers, the blocking, whatever it may be, I, I still put most of the blame on Emory Jones here. This offense struggles to score touchdowns, plain and simple. They cannot get out of their own way, it seems like. And especially when they're starting to drive and when they get in the red zone, for whatever reason, they can't convert and they haven't been good at all this season. I believe their touchdown in the game was like in the second quarter, or whatever it may have been. That was like their first score in like eight quarters of – or excuse me, I think six mm. or seven quarters of football because they just had a drought because they didn't score a single touchdown against Oklahoma. Um, just not, not enough to get it done. And the other thing, Cincinnati's defense, like – Sometimes they play well, sometimes they aren't, but that secondary has gotten picked on a lot over the last few games. And that's gonna definitely be an area of concern for me. As far as BYU, they just they find ways to win. And it's almost like I'll talk about West Virginia here a little bit later. It's just like ugly, but it works. And I think that's exactly who they are, and they just need to embrace it because Keaton Slovis, every like one in six or seven passes are good, and then the rest are just not good uh that's the only way i can describe keaton flovis because i don't know if he's necessarily a guy i would want to lead my team um but i guess he kind of gets enough to get the job done i mean he didn't turn the ball over he didn't make any he doesn't make critical mistakes but then again he doesn't do anything necessarily that's spectacular um but i will say that last offensive drive in the first half for them where he went three plays and 82 yards and like 30 seconds for BYU to score Mm -hmm. that was incredible and I thought that kind of gave them momentum in the second half where they scored on those first two opening drives of the second half I thought that was really where the game was won for for BYU and then in the end they kind of just they found a way to hold on Cincinnati made it score late but I don't think the game uh, the score was probably as close as maybe people people think but that's kind of my takeaway it was an ugly win for BYU but they found a way to get the job done and and shout out because I think they're the only school now to win their conference home opener uh, out of the Mm -hmm. four new
0: You know, one of the weirdest stat lines from this game, Keaton Slovis before that last drive of the first half had two passing yards. It was crazy. And I know I've harped on them having to establish the rushing attack. They didn't really do either for the first entire chunk of the first half. Then a flame goes off and Keaton Slovis says, all right, it's time to be good and then drives 82 yards down the field for a score with three beautiful balls and a play uh, a pass interference call. I believe someone trying to cover the tight end, Isaac Rex, got him down the field, put it in the end zone, get some momentum. That is a huge swing. Touching on this BYU team, I mean, you mentioned it, you know, Keaton Slovis doesn't do anything spectacular, but he also doesn't make a ton of mistakes, which you see that happen for just about every team in the Big 12. When you have a quarterback that at least take care of the football and just make the right play, maybe not the spectacular or the best play, you'll win some games like this. This is a great example of that. With that said, I think Chase Roberts is so good. Unbelievable. That dude should never have been single team down the stretch by Cincinnati. I mean, you get the score, you get the game within one score, two, three times down the stretch, and even though Cincinnati's not doing anything offensively, the defense played okay-ish. It just came down to the stop. Uh, there's a couple of big plays from L.J. Martin, but Chase Roberts was the guy. I mean, that was the guy you had to shadow in this game, but something about this BYU team like it's gross but it works like they're they're gritty they stay to it they they're just tough and they swarm the football. I really like what they have going on defense but that being said still give up seven or twenty seven points to Cincinnati which you know you mentioned it their offense doesn't score touchdowns you know the commentator in this game mentioned he's like you know you almost want them to be trying to score from the 21 yard line instead of inside the red zone they'll have ten times a better chance from scoring from outside of the red zone than they do inside the red zone for whatever reason. <laughs> It's crazy to watch. And Emery Jones, I know he's going to get the majority of the blame for this. I don't know who else you can really put it on. It just didn't look great for Cincinnati. It's not going to get much easier either. You know, if you're struggling at this point, obviously there's time down the stretch that you can improve. But I didn't love what I saw from Cincinnati. And even though I didn't necessarily love what I saw from BYU, there's something compelling about this BYU team that I at least enjoy to watch. And it seemed like the fan environment was great for both sides. I mean, It felt like a packed out stadium and it had to be a really cool experience for Matthew being there let's move on here to the next game we have on the schedule and this is another interesting one here somehow some way the West Virginia Mountaineers keep finding ways to get it done West Virginia takes down TCU Derek what'd you think of the Mountaineers win here
1: well um somebody wrote an article talking about West Virginia last week I was wondering if it was time to to trust the climb for Neil Brown I and mean, I think after this game that was a this is another state w- statement win for Neil Brown, and he's put together about three of these in a row. Now, beating Pitt West, excuse me, Pitt, um, I'm trying to think Pittsburgh, Texas, six, Texas Tech, Texas Tech excuse me, and then now TCU, where which by the way, they were a double digit underdog. I think the line was set, set at like 13. TCU mm-hmm. was favored by like 13 points in this game, and the fact that West Virginia just beats them outright is pretty incredible. Um, again. I've said it before and I'll say it again. West Virginia finds a way to win ugly football games. And this is, this is to a T who they have been so far this season. Uh, they use clock management. They held the ball for almost 34 minutes of this football game Rushed for 200 yards. Garrett green was back. But if you really look at it overall, he didn't have to do much. He ran the football pretty well, but he didn't have to do a whole lot with his arm and West Virginia relied on their great defense. And, in the end, it was almost like they were waiting for TCU to make this mistake, make the mistakes that they did. And to their credit, TCU did towards the end of the game, and West Virginia got away here. But I've got to, I'm have got i really impressed with the job Neil Brown's done, and I've, I've said it many times too, that they were picked dead last in the Big 12 um, in the preseason at media days. I can remember talking to Neil Brown saying that his team had a chip on their shoulder and they were pissed off, and, and they're playing like a pissed-off football team. Uh, quite frankly, because they're physical at the line of scrimmage. They have a veteran offensive line. They run the football very well. They like to control the game. It's very and Joe, it's very Kansas State-esque mm-hmm. uh, of West Virginia's offense, I think. And, and they play good defense to back it up. I'm not saying that their defense is good as Kansas State or anything like that, but they play well enough to get the job done. And I think that's kind of my my takeaway from West Virginia. And if you haven't bought in to Neil Brown into Neil Brown right now, I think now you really should because you look at the schedule, they're set up pretty good. I think there's a chance they could get to eight wins in the regular season. And before the year started, I think if you would have said that, people would have called you crazy because that just wasn't going to happen. But credit to West Virginia. As for TCU, I thought they played an okay game. I felt like they didn't play their best game. They let West Virginia hang around for too long. Chandler Morris I thought is fantastic, and I think he's becoming one of the most underrated Big 12 quarterbacks that really nobody's talking about and they should be talking about, but I think Chandler Morris is an excellent big 12 quarterback. The thing for me for TCU that bothered me the most was TCU had a chance to tie the game late in the fourth quarter. Uh, They were down by three points and it was a close, I believe they were on like the 30 yard line of West Virginia and they were so close to converting a third down. It ended up being like fourth and short and Sonny Dykes leaves his offense out on the field. For like 10 to 15 seconds. And by the time 12 second, the 12 second mark hit, he rushes his offense off the field and then rushes the field goal unit on with Griffin Kell try to kick a I forgot how long the field goal was, and it ended up getting blocked because they just rushed the entire thing. And Sonny Dykes had three timeouts in his back pocket and refused to use one there. I don't understand why he kept that. He could have easily just used one, kicked the field goal, and just took his time there. And instead it was rushed and ended up getting blocked. And then towards the end of the game on TCU had a a final chance to tie the game up or even potentially win the game. And Chandler Morris takes two sacks on the final drive. Like, these are just things you can't do. So I felt like the time management for TCU is what really cost them the game. And, and yeah, they had a chance to to try to tie the game on a super long field goal and guess what, it ended up getting blocked again. But for me, the time management for TCU is what cost them
0: here. I agree. You know, it's kind of interesting to see, like, you see a coach have so much success in their first year in sunny Dykes that I think everyone kind of just immediately expects them not to have many hiccups going forward. You know, you go to the national championship in your first year as a head coach with the team, you kind of expect all the, you know, the nitty gritty mistakes to be not in your repertoire. So to say they showed up, they showed up big against West Virginia. And I got to say, that's, that's what West Virginia does. They make you make mistakes they force you into tough situations, and it's impressive to see what Neil Brown's done. You know, you mentioned they could get to eight wins this season. There's a chance that things go their way. They could be 8-1 and one going into Oklahoma, going into Norman. I mean, the next couple of games here, you've got Houston. That game's at Houston. Houston, I don't even know what to expect right now. They're just interesting. Oklahoma State, <laughs> that game's in Morgantown. Quarterback play, always a question mark for OSU this season. You've got UCF. That's at the bounce house. That's not an easy game. John rice Palmer will be back in that one. Then you get BYU, that's in Morgantown again, then you head to Oklahoma. I mean, that could be, if you can win that game against against uh, UCF, excuse me, you could very easily be at eight wins before playing a top 10 team in Oklahoma at the time, more than likely. It's pretty crazy to consider what West Virginia has already done this season. And it's interesting, you know, you mentioned it's Kansas State-esque, I, I agree. You know, it's not that, like, they have one style of football, but they can bring it to you. You know, they don't just... If you get out and running, then they're done. It's not that way. They consistently challenge you throughout the entire game, and it's got to be a great confidence feeling in that locker room with Neil Brown, with the team. I love what I'm seeing from West Virginia right now, and it's kind of interesting to see. Like, I don't know if I expect them to get to four wins before the season started, five wins before the season started. You know, you lose, in my head, you lose a game to Pitt. You lose certain teams like that. It's just interesting and incredible to see what Neil Brown's already done. So that's been a good change of pace for the Mountaineers, but I do want to jump on this next game. Speaking of the team, I mentioned, I mentioned Houston taking on Texas Tech. Weird game, really weird game. The over was hit basically immediately. Derek, what do you think about the matchup between Texas Tech and Houston?
1: Yeah, you described it perfectly. You said Houston was an interesting team, and they certainly uh, are, but for all the all the wrong reasons, Joe. Um, mm-hmm. If I would have told you before this game that Donovan Smith would have threw for 336 yards, four touchdowns, and zero receptions, you would have said Houston won this game, correct?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: 100%. And they end up losing by 20, by three touchdowns. Um, <laughs> it's it's, it's mind boggling. I mean, you look at some of the stat lines of these games, and it's like, how in the world did the game go like this? But the difference for me here, was the two special teams score scores by West for, or excuse me by Texas Tech? Um, you had a hundred yard kickoff return for a touchdown, uh, and then you had that block punt uh, for scores as well. Dre McRae ran the the kickoff back hundred yards, mm-hmm. and then a block punt later in the game that that gave West or excuse me Texas Tech two scores right there. Um, so that that was really costly in the game for Houston, and for Houston it's like. They probably played one of their best offensive games in a while, that I would say, um, because they've certainly had some issues on offense, especially in the passing game with Donovan Smith. And then I just mentioned the stat line, 336, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. He He plays really a career kind of game here on the road in Lubbock, which is not an easy place to play. And yet defensively and on special teams, Houston just has major, major breakdowns. They let Texas Tech run the football for over 200 yards in the game as well. They kind of let Tech control the game. And Houston just not good enough, and I'll get to Texas Tech here in a second. But you need to watch as much as I, you know, I love some of the stuff that Dana Holgerson says, but I've said it before here in the post game. He just looks—it's almost like it's almost like I don't care. Um, so it's almost like an I don't care kind of vibe here, and it's just—it's lackadaisical. It's just. It's kind of just meh for them, and I'll give credit to Texas Tech here for getting the job done. I mentioned already the job that they did on special teams. Uh, Baron Morton didn't have to do a whole lot in this game, only threw for 161 yards, completed just 14 passes. Uh, where Texas Tech really got the job done was on the ground here. Cameron Valdez rushes for over 100 yards. Taj Brooks rushes for over 100 yards. So Texas Tech used their ground game in this one to, to kind of take advantage here of Houston's defense that hasn't been – quite frankly, hasn't been very good. Uh, so – that should surprise nobody at this point. But again, just a weird game that you mentioned earlier. In, you're kind of sensing a theme here. We've had a lot of weird games so far that we've talked about mm-hmm. already. And you can just add this one to the
0: list. It's just interesting. You know, I mean, I mentioned it. Houston is weird. They're an enigma. They're not like a good enigma, to say the least. They don't look at you and say, you know what? We win ugly. We win weird. We win these games. They're losing. But they're playing wild, wildly good for like a five-minute period. And then they forget how to play football for the next 15, 20 minutes. And that cannot happen. You know, you you mentioned it. Donovan Smith looked like Tom Brady in this game, and they lose by three touchdowns. That's crazy. (laughs) And let me tell you this. You know, we've mentioned it. We've kind of both harped on Dana Holgerson for this. The job isn't going to get any easier at all. Let me read you the next six games, seven games of their schedule and tell you how bad this looks. You've got West Virginia. They're playing their best football right now. They've got an off week this week. Then they touch on West Virginia next week after. Then they take on number 3 Texas, then Kansas State in Manhattan, Baylor and Waco. You've got Cincinnati. That game's at home in Houston. That's a good game to look at. Back-to-back, you've got OSU coming in. The next week, you got a two-week stretch there, and then you head to UCF in Orlando. The only games that are relatively winnable are Cincinnati and Oklahoma State, assuming that Baylor doesn't revert to its first half self against UCF. That game's in Waco as well. The job is not going to get easier. So you tell me you've got... Three teams in the next three weeks with one loss on their record collectively, two losses collectively with Kansas State and West Virginia. This is not going to get any easier. I don't know what, like, the experiment doesn't make much sense going forward. And I'm not saying to fire Dana Holgerson immediately or anything, but it's just like, what positive is there in the same style of football where you keep getting your face kicked in? That's kind of what I'm seeing from Houston right now. And it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You know, it's kind of insanity in my mind. Uh, Will they get better? Potentially. I just don't know how that would happen. That's just not something I see on my bingo card. I got to ask you something,
1: Joe. Here Um, between Houston, you we mentioned Houston being weird, BYU and Cincinnati. I feel like somehow those three teams are kind of like interconnected with one another because neither, not a single one of them necessarily plays great games. Like they have stretches and moments Mm -hmm. of games, but yet BYU is the only one out of those other two, three teams that seem to have gotten the job done in the win column because for whatever reason BYU finds the way to win and it's like Houston and Cincinnati find ways to lose.
0: That's a that's a incredible. That is a great point. That is exactly what it is. And you know you even see it like in the games they lose Houston in the first half looked like a gauntlet against Texas Tech. Donovan Smith looked like a you know a Heisman caliber quarterback. Even in the Cincinnati-Oklahoma game a couple weeks ago, there was a moment where Cincinnati was rivaling Dylan Gabriel, rivaling Oklahoma in that game early. And then they make a mistake, and then they forget to play football. It's just Mm -hmm. a weird vibe. You know, BYU, same thing. Weird vibe, but they're winning games. That's the difference. They've got to find ways to win. And you mentioned it. The perfect way to say it, Houston, Cincinnati, find ways to lose. And that is not a narrative you want about your team. But let me jump to Texas Tech. They finally ran the football. And that is a great sign. And yeah, I mean, Houston's defense is not great. But you didn't need a ton out of Baron Morton in this. Obviously, you know, the game had 70 points scored between it, whatever the exact math is. Didn't need a ton from anybody but your running backs, your defense, and special teams. And if that's a recipe you can continue going forward where you're getting help on all three phases, that's going to be, you know, if that's sustainable, you'll win games that way. However, I don't think that every team Texas Tech is going to play is going to have a Houston-style defense where it's just, I don't even know how to describe Houston's defense. It's not good. But um, I don't know. I think Texas Tech has something going, at least some belief for a little bit. It's just a question of how long that's sustainable. Liked what I saw, but I don't think that there's a massive takeaway from that other than the fact that Zach Hitley decided to run the ball. And it bode well well for them. So we'll see if that continues going forward. Touching on another game, this one, a bit of a blowout. Obviously, some, some interesting situations on the injury card here before this game. Kansas taking on Texas, a top 25 matchup in the AP poll. Derek, what did you get from this game?
1: Much like UCF and Baylor, this was a tale of two halves. I mean, the fact that Jalen Daniels didn't play in this game for Kansas was a big deal. Uh, I thought this game probably could have been a little bit worse from from Kansas standpoint, but somehow they were able to hang in there for, for two quarters. It was only a 13-7 game at halftime. Uh, Jason Bean, though, did not look very good. Uh, he, he was okay, I guess, at times, but nine for 21, 136 yards, not going to get the job done. Uh, Kansas ran the ball okay as well I mean they kind of like I said they they hung in there for about two quarters uh it was a good effort by Kansas but until until Jalen Daniels comes back I'm not really sure how seriously you can take this team uh right now because they're just not without Jalen Daniels it's like it's not old Kansas but it's certainly not good good enough to get the job done here mm-hmm. um so for me that was big. I think my key takeaway here for Texas is going to be the second half. And it's going to be a theme that we've seen with some of the teams in college football, the Georgias, you know, the Michigans or whoever it may be, that you're seeing them kind of be different teams in the second half. They get these slow starts, whether it was Wyoming or whoever it may be for Texas against Rice, they got a slow start in the first half. And then the second half, it's like, okay, now they're starting to kind of get the momentum and playing better. But for Texas, I want to see that for four quarters. I don't want to see that for a half. I want to see that for four quarters. Uh, Luckily against uh, Jalen Daniels, less uh, Kansas, they were able to get the job done. But for me, it was all about the rushing game. Jonathan Brooks, 218 yards on the ground. Fantastic day. Quinn Ewers wasn't asked to do a whole lot. Didn't do a whole lot for that matter. Uh, And that's kind of a theme you're starting to see for Texas. I mentioned already the second half performances. You're starting to see the ground game for Texas get going. And as crazy as it sounds, and I did not have this on my uh, Big 12 bingo card coming of the year, but Jonathan Brooks now it, for Texas is the leading rusher in the Big 12. He's got almost 600 yards already uh, on the ground, so he's due for a thousand-yard season. And, and I, it's quite a surprise for me to see. And I'll say this about Texas, you know, and I've mentioned before how physical they are on the defensive line, but that offensive line is getting getting the job done right now on the ground, and that's going to be key. Going into their game against Oklahoma next week, but Texas really looks like one a top five team, and we've we've both talked about this before. Right now, I think there's a gap between Texas and the next best team in the Big Twelve.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. You know, they're on path. You know, if they can continue this pace, they should very seriously get a look at the college football playoff. I mean, that's where they're headed right now at this trajectory. But I also did want to mention this before we move on. Last week, I did take Kansas to win this game. That was vetoed the second Jalen Daniels wasn't on that field. I want to preface that now. So don't quote me on that if you heard that. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a game where Texas let them hang around. I mean, you saw Quinn Ewers throw his first interception in 300 or something pass attempts, whatever the actual stat was, you know, in a close situation down the stretch, you know, closing out the first half. There's 30 seconds left. You're in field goal range and you throw a pick where you just missed the linebacker completely. That is not a play that most top five quarterbacks can make and get away with. This Texas team, you can. That defense is good enough. However, Kansas wasn't the perfect matchup for Texas, but there's going to be teams on their schedule that if you have that slow of a first half, they're going to make you pay for it. You know, Kansas State's a great example. A solid O-line, dynamic rushing attack with DJ Giddens. That's a team that can make you pay for it. There's teams in the league that can really match that, and I don't want to say that that's going to be a recipe for a win or anything, but each player on Kansas's roster this week was averaging more than 5.5 yards a carry. And, you know, the issue is when you're down 40 to 14, obviously, in the end, the second half, you're not really able to run the football like you did in the first half. But there was a play in the first half I saw, and it was fourth and one. It's all over Twitter. Everybody talked about it. Fourth and one, you've got Jason being a quarterback, an athletic rusher. You put him in the shotgun and you run a read option where Daniel Hyshaw clenches the football. They have a fumble. They turned over to give it back to Texas. It was a one-score game at that time. Kansas' defense held Texas to three on two or three multiple different occasions as well as getting off the field with the interception to go in with a six-point lo- uh, deficit at half. That feels like a win of a first half. Texas is going to be tested each week, and the mark of a great team is if you can handle that, handle that test, handle the waters. That's what I'd say because there's going to be teams that are going to rock the boat a little bit against Texas. If they can continue finding ways to win, that's going to get them there. I know that's not the hottest take of all time, but – I was interested. The first half felt like a game, and then the second half did not feel like a game whatsoever. So that was my takeaway from that. But touching on to the next game and the final game we've got to talk about, we have Iowa State-Oklahoma, a game that was interesting in its own right, but not for a great reason. You know, you had Oklahoma looking to get another massive win, maybe not massive, but against one of the best defenses of the Big 12, they put up 50. Derek, what what'd you think about OU and Iowa State? before this
1: game if there was one thing i could bet on i remember the spread was extremely high it was also a double digit spread in favor of the sooners but if there was one thing i could really count on in this game for iowa state it would have been their defense and it was like opposite day for them because it was actually the offense uh who did a great job for them in this game i mean they scored 20 points and a half and i mean for iowa state on a defense like oklahoma's you score 20 and a half i'd expect you'd be leading or the game pretty close unfortunately Oklahoma put 40 on the board in the first half uh, for the Cyclones because they just torched, and I mean torched, Iowa State's secondary. Oklahoma had over 330 yards at halftime, Joe, and 40 points. Mm. I mean, they were on pace for scoring, what, 80 and going for like 700 yards. It's absolutely crazy that we, we saw Oklahoma's kind of offense turn a corner. And Dylan Gabriel looked really good in this game. Three touchdowns, finished the day with 366 yards. Oklahoma ran the ball for over buck $1.50. Um, I think for me, what you see from Oklahoma now is that they're connecting on some of these deep passes. We saw maybe in previous weeks that they had some moments on offense where they kind of stalled out a little bit, or Dylan Gabriel wasn't always able to find the guy. Oklahoma threw the ball downfield. They, you know, a receiver came down with it, and they just made play after play offensively. And defensively, as bad as Oklahoma was in the first half, you know they had a couple of misses by their safeties with missed tackles and everything like that. I thought that they did an excellent job in the second half and they made the right adjustments moving forward because Iowa State did not score a single point in the final two quarters. Um, So that was a big win for Oklahoma. And that was a statement win for Oklahoma. They needed that before that going into the Texas game. Uh, you, You win by 30 against Iowa State. And I know people are going to say Iowa State's definitely had their struggles this season. They certainly have, but you beat Iowa State by 30 points. That's a statement win uh, no matter what. So that was a big win for the Sooners. As for Iowa State, I I talked about defensively. That was probably their worst defensive performance I've seen in quite a while, maybe since last year in the TCU game. But that was by far their worst performance this season. And I thought Rocco Beck did a decent job in the first half keeping Cyclones in it. The passing game was definitely working. So We've seen kind of a shift now of this Iowa State offense, kind of moving from being kind of a slow, methodical passing game to now they're not afraid to fire it and rip it on first down. So I do appreciate that. And I do like seeing that. Uh, the other positive for Iowa State, they actually ran the ball somewhat quite well. They averaged over 5.6 yards per carry, which is somewhere, which is about almost two or three, four yards higher where they've been. So there's some positives to take away from Iowa State here. Uh, they definitely got to get better playing uh, defense. So that, that defensive performance from uh, John Haycock as a defense corner, that's something you typically don't see, but uh, again, just give credit to the Sooners for, for getting the job done here.
0: Yeah. You know, I wrote about it this week and talked a little bit about the improvement from last year to this year's defense for Oklahoma. That's a real unit. I mean, those guys fly to the ball, they make great plays. And I know that kind of the general assessment was the first half, you know, you had a chunk of points, 60 points score between two teams, give or take. And then obviously you don't see, Iowa State get back on the scoreboard in the second half. You said it; the adjustment is crucial. That's a big adjustment, even though you still have a big enough, you know, margin of error or margin of lead in that sense. I should say, you can still see moments like you saw Baylor rally back twenty-nine points, twenty-eight points. Excuse me. I mean, this is a game where this can always happen. Brent Venables is continuing to prove, like, hey, we should be taken serious. It's not last year's Oklahoma, and you know, I don't know. It feels like the league is kind of split on this. Well, at some point, Oklahoma is going to get shut down, but like, it feels like their schedule is catered. I mean, it feels like they have a real shot to be a one loss team. You know, maybe if you beat Texas, you've got a real shot to win out your schedule and go to a college football playoff. I know that Texas is viewed, you know, not even leaps and bounds better than Oklahoma per se, but the Red River River rivalry is doing everything it can to be the big 12 championship. And obviously one of those teams is going to take a loss this week, but Oklahoma, Texas continue to prove why where they're at matters this season. Iowa State, I mean, I don't know if I expected them to win this game. Obviously, we both expected them to cover. That defense is tough. It's physical, but you get 40 points put up on you in the first half. Dylan Gabriel looks incredible. I think he's the one that deserves to be getting some more credit in this. Obviously, Oklahoma's a good squad. They've got good coordinators. They've got good things figured out, at least Colin plays. But like, the thing that just continually blows my mind is that if you look through, and I don't know if I can speak for you in this sense, but Oklahoma fans, this, like the first half, it's obviously it's a fire, the offensive coordinator, and it's a bench Dylan Gabriel. For some reason, I've seen that, that narrative three or four times already this season, and maybe it's just the, you know, the up and downness of the fan base. But it continues to baffle me when you have a quarterback go for closer to 400 yards and 300 yards, three scores, lead his team to a 30-point win, and people are still like, well, you know, he's not, he's not great. It's like, dude, I'd, I'd pay a lot of money to have that guy leading my team if that's the case, but it was a good win. I mean, Oklahoma is going to prove that they're a top 10 team here over the next couple of weeks. Obviously, you got a big matchup with Texas, but you said the momentum is the biggest thing. I agree. Iowa State, I don't know if this really sets you back that much. You know what I mean? And it's not to say that their coaching staff's like, well, guys, we're not winning this one, but nobody is thinking Iowa State is pulling this off. You know, they they'd have to play an absolute perfect game and they still wouldn't completely have it sealed you know what I mean yeah I think that there's good things on offense you take that away that's a good thing to move forward there's some good things on defense obviously there's some things to batten down but this was a fine game for Iowa State you lose by 30 in the end it's not really a true ref- reflection of the score I don't think until Iowa State you know didn't have anything go in the second half but I don't know I mean Iowa State going forward they still are a significantly better team than I anticipated this year and I think most people did Matt Campbell getting a lot of hot seat conversation. Derek, I don't know if you saw, but there's a lot of stuff going around with Matt Campbell this week. The dude should not be on the hot seat. I mean, this is just a tough situation, but he's also still like the best coach in Iowa State history. The guy knows what he's doing. He's going to get these guys back on track in a year or two. It's just a down year. That's just what it is. But everybody needs to pump the brakes on that. I keep seeing these hot seat conversations and fans yelling at Matt Campbell, Campbell yelling back. It does feel, and I'll ask you this. It does feel like there's some added pressure, maybe internally with Matt Campbell, because he continues to respond to people going after him about the hot seat. (laughs) You know, two weeks in a row, we've seen a big outburst from him. Derek, what do you think about that, about the whole hot seat thing going on with Matt Campbell?
1: Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. It was kind of funny seeing other fan bases now pick up (laughs) on that. And then they had Oklahoma fans shouting it uh, at him after the game. But, you know, I I, personally, I think Campbell should try to just let it walk. But, you know, Campbell, Coach uh, Matt Campbell, he's a man of. He's a passionate coach man he he gets Mm -hmm. he's fired up he's not afraid to yell at the referees if you've seen as we've all seen before um so it's just who he is and maybe that what that's what makes him the competitor he is but i don't care for him firing back necessarily but again Mm -hmm. i'm not in that position to really say because somebody was calling for my job i might feel a very (laughs) same very similar way as he does too so it's it's hard to kind of put yourself in those shoes but by no means, I agree with you. There, there's no reason Matt Campbell should be on the hot seat. Again, you know, after what they lost with Brock Purdy uh, in 2022, they lost so much production. And then you had the whole gambling investigation where you lose the Hunter Deckers and a few other key pieces. I think you just need to give him a little bit of time and space here.
0: Yeah, I agree for sure. But let's jump on to this. Overall thoughts on the weekend. Do you have any overarching recap for the league in this one?
1: I think we've used this word a few times in this episode here that we haven't probably in, in previous podcasts, but weird. Just a weird, weird mm-hmm. weekend overall. I mean, just thinking about all these games, you know, starting off with BYU-Cincinnati, that game was weird. UCF-Baylor, <laughs> to a comeback for the ages. <laughs> West Virginia-TCU was ugly. Um, Houston-Texas Tech, two special teams touchdowns. Uh, outside, and then you know, the first half of Kansas Texas really close game, even without Jalen Daniels. Maybe the only game that wasn't weird, I guess, was Oklahoma and Iowa State, but mm-hmm. a very odd weekend. Um, but it was definitely entertaining as hell. I'll say that from a fans' perspective, it was definitely fun to watch all, all the madness happen. And I think moving forward in this new Big 12, and as the conference continues to grow next season with the uh, four more new schools, you know, I think you're going to see kind of this what I would call like a March, my ma- uh, March madness style. It's going to be mm-hmm. in the fall now because you're going to see it during football season. It truly the big 12's madness. I mean, each and every week, I think you're going to see craziness happen. And this is just part of the fun. I guess this is something we just better get used to from here on out.
0: March madness is a great point. I mean, this is, you know, this is October madness starting now. It feels like, uh, I think, you know, what I kept thinking back to is there's about three or four teams in the league that I know what they are. Everybody else. I have no clue. You know, it is so unpredictable right now. And that's the thing that, you know, you really love to see that, you know, it's kind of stinky when you have, all right, these two are going to play. Everybody else is horrible. You know, when there's that period, like nobody knows what West Virginia can go and do. Nobody knows what a Kansas state can go and do. And then conversely, you know, you see teams at the bottom where it's like Cincinnati has no life right now. They could flip that narrative. There's just so many different things going on in the league that are just, it's going to be a week to week thing and everything's going to change each week. So A good week of football overall, and it was always exciting to see. But let's talk about some opening lines heading into the next week. I'll list them here, and then I'll jump to you. So we've got five games on the schedule, some off weeks for some much-deserving teams. We've got Kansas State with the biggest line of the weekend, favored by nine points in Stillwater, playing Oklahoma State. You've got UCF plus five at Kansas, Oklahoma plus five at Texas, TCU favored by six at Iowa State Names, Texas Tech plus two at Baylor. Those are our five matchups. Derek, I want to start by talking about some game picks. If we want to go game at a time in this, and I'll give you the floor. I'll give you the first one. Kansas State minus nine at OSU. What do you think about that game? I
1: like the Wildcats in that one. Um, I am not, as you know, I am not high on Oklahoma State. In fact, I saw another (laughs) stat today that, you know, Oklahoma State wasn't even playing this past week, and yet I saw a stat that, they had the highest missed rate tackle in all of college football. They were like at 20%, I believe it was. So
0: it's like the more things –
1: the more and more I find out about Oklahoma State, the more I don't like this team. Um, I'm assuming they're going to stick with Alan Bowman again this week. Um, I just – I don't trust Oklahoma State. I know they're at home playing Kansas State. I like Kansas State to go out there. And and I'm going to say they win by at least 10. So I'm going to take Kansas State to cover that one for sure, the minus nine.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's the right answer. I don't think that like, there's just no justification to choose OSU right now when the best thing you have going for you as well, it's a home game. I don't know if I can ride with OSU in that case. You know what I mean? I think Kansas state, obviously both teams had a buy or an off week this past week. K state needed that, you know, get Will Howard back to clo- as close as he can be to full health, get your offensive line healthy. I think K state handles business. It's a game that, you know, there's going to be some extra energy. K state beat him 48 zero last last year in Manhattan. Gundy's not going to be, you know, he'll use every bit of that motivation, but I just don't think they're a good enough team to beat the defending champs. Give me K State minus nine as well. I'll move to the next game. Which, if I thought about this better, I would have made you go first on this one because I have no idea which way to go. UCF <laughs> plus five at Kansas. I'm not sure. I think that John Rice Plumlee is getting back in this game. Do you have any information on that? I I haven't heard anything.
1: He was, I will say, he was on the on in the pregame warming up against Baylor. Um, mm-hmm. but obviously he didn't play. But I don't know how healthy he is. That's the other thing, too, because while, yeah, it's great he's out there throwing some passes in the pregame warmups. just don't know how healthy he is uh, in that yeah. game. But
0: I, I think that I'll go with this. Both teams are going to be incredibly pissed off. That is not a secret. Kansas loses in blowout fashion. I guess, now that I think about it, we don't know who's going to be either quarterback in this game. I don't know if Jalen Daniels' nope. injury is going to sustain – past week one week I would assume so but don't quote me on that I'll take UCF and I'll take the points in Lawrence to get the job done
1: I'll say this if Daniels plays and Plumlee doesn't I'm going to take Kansas covering mm-hmm. that spread if both quarterbacks are healthy um, then I would probably take UCF to cover uh, to me so I kind of have an asterisk I guess by that game <laughs> yeah. but to me, it's definitely going to – it's hard to predict a game when neither starting quarterback, when both of their statuses are up in the air right now, this early in the week. But as the week goes on, I guess if if Daniels is playing, I'd take Kansas. And if Plumley's not, I'd still take Kansas. But if Plumley's playing and, and Daniels is healthy, I'd probably take UC up to cover. But as of right now, if I had to guess, I would say that Daniels is probably going to play next week and that is probably still a week out maybe. Um, so I'm going to take Kansas in that one.
0: Okay, well, we will have to monitor that one for sure. Oklahoma plus five at Texas, Derek. The floor is yours.
1: <laughs> Oklahoma played; they've played some fantastic defense so far this year. Uh, offensively, they're getting better. They looked really good against a solid Iowa State defense. They absolutely torched Iowa State. I'm just not sure if Oklahoma is going to be prepared for what Texas brings to the table up front on the line of strip on the line of scrimmage. And they've definitely, I can say without a doubt, we both can agree on this. They have not played a team like Texas, whereas Texas played a team like Alabama on the road and beat them by double digits. Um, The thing about Texas, I will say that concerns me is that Quinn Ewers definitely has not been playing his best football as of late. And I don't know if he's going to turn that around. Uh, Texas, the run game for them has been obviously working. I'm going to take Texas here to cover. Um, I don't feel great about that pick, um, but gun to my head, I think Texas to me is just the better team overall. I think Texas is more pre- prepared right now than Oklahoma is at this point. I think they've definitely been the more battle tested team uh, so far throughout the year. And that's no knock on Oklahoma because I think Oklahoma is definitely an improved team from last season. Defensively, they're playing a lot better. And offensively, they, I think they're figuring, starting to figure things out a little bit more, but Uh, I'm going to go with the Longhorns here, and I can't believe I'm saying that. Uh, It sounds kind of crazy for them to cover that spread, but I think I'm going to go with Texas here.
0: I'm going to flip you for the sake of flipping you, and I'm going to go Oklahoma plus five. I think that defense for Oklahoma is a really good unit. And even though – I mean, Texas has played Alabama. like I don't want to say that and try to slight Alabama by any means, but I think that with Quinn Ewers not playing the football that he can, you know, we know he can be that dark horse Heisman – not even a dark horse. He can be a Heisman caliber quarterback. You know, in certain scenarios, I don't think Brent Venables is going to make life very easy on him. I'll take Oklahoma plus five on the road. Also, I don't feel great about that, but that is where I'm going to rest for now. TCU minus six at Iowa State. This line just sucks. I have no idea. This is like one of those where it's Iowa State coming off a loss, TCU coming off a loss, games in Ames, which is always a big thing. But I think I'm going to go with TCU minus six even though I'm not feeling great about it because I feel like the TCU is due for a bounce back game. They've kind of had just an unpredictable season so far. I'll take the Horn Frogs minus six to cover on the road.
1: Well, I am going opposite of you. I am going with Iowa state to cover here. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see a pissed off Iowa state defense. Uh, John Haycock led defense after what happened to Norman last week. I think Iowa state's going to come prepared. I think they're going to play excellent defense uh tcu i'm not sure i trust him 100 i did say that Chandler morris was probably one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the big 12 and that he is but playing in Ames, it's going to be a a hostile environment as we all know i think iowa state is going to cover this one and i think the offensive well for iowa state is going to play a little bit better than what they did last week against oklahoma uh and so i'm i'm going to go with the clones here i'm going to take them at home
0: okay i like that pick i mean i'm going to roll with tcu just because but Moving on to the last game of the weekend, Texas Tech plus two at Baylor. Derek, where are you going on this one? I might
1: be going with another shocker here, but I'm going to take Baylor to outright win this game. Um, I think after last week's epic comeback against UCF, I think now Baylor finally maybe has some momentum on their side. I'm going to – I'm taking a – that's a big gamble here, uh, mm-hmm. with, especially with a team like Baylor because you don't know <laughs> – Which team's going to show up for them? They have great moments and bad moments, but now that Blake Shapens back, I feel a lot better about this Baylor team compared to when Sawyer Robinson was at quarterback. So I think I'm going to take Baylor here. And being at home as well in Waco, uh, it's going to be definitely a close game. But I think I'm going to take Baylor here. The other thing for Texas Tech, I'm not so sure about their offense. They were able to score a couple uh, special teams touchdowns last week against uh, Houston, that really kind of sealed the deal for them. I don't think they're going to get those against Baylor. I think Baylor is going to win this game outright.
0: I don't hate that pick. You know, this game is kind of the line that I look at with the biggest question mark, I would say. But that being said, I do feel pretty good about Texas Tech in this game. I'll take Texas Tech plus two. You know, I kind of almost see this game as a pickup game. I think the plus two is just added for the the Waco element. I mean, you're on the road. It's a tougher environment. Plus, obviously, quarterback injuries. I think I'm going to go with Texas Tech. In the event that they run the football, you know, I'm not just going to put a caveat and say that I don't take this bet if they don't run the football, but that's how you're going to beat Baylor. I mean, Baylor didn't look great against UCF's rushing attack until they absolutely had to have stops. I think Texas Tech should be able to run the football, which could set up some things down the field. I'll take Texas Tech plus two, and I'm cautiously optimistic because when you come back, you know, 58 points, not actually, you know, but when you come back a ton of points, that's going to give all the confidence in the world. For, to Blake Shapen, who is a guy that needs that, you know what I mean. Like nobody's been a hundred percent sold on Blake Shapin and a hundred percent in. He's got more confidence that I don't know if he it, than I think he's had in the last couple of years. Like the guy is, uh, he's there. You know, he's arrived, and I think that this could be what you see going forward. So that's the only caveat to that. But Derek, I will ask you this, and I'll give you the first pick. What would be your lock from this list?
1: Sticking with Baylor. I I think they're going to win outright, man. I'm sticking with the Baylor Bears, and I know that's a a weird team to I guess put all your eggs in one basket in, but when I'm looking at these spreads, uh, I maybe could have went with Iowa State, but I feel like, I don't know, I just feel good about Baylor this week. I think they're going to win at home. I think they're going to beat uh, Texas Tech at home.
0: Well, I thought that you would for sure take Kansas State minus nine, so because you didn't, I'm going to take K-State minus nine. Oklahoma State is not that team. You know Their defense isn't good. Their offense isn't good. Special teams aren't great. I don't think they beat Kansas State, or excuse me, they get close to Kansas State in this game. I'll take the Wildcats as my lock of the week. But that's going to do it for us in this episode. Derek, it is officially last call. I hope you have some more great drinks down there in Florida. And try not to get too sunburned. I don't know if you tan 100%. I know I get fried by the sun. So I hope you've had a good trip and you're enjoying it out there.
1: No, it's, so far it's been great. Uh, we went to finally got to Daytona Beach uh, last night here right now. A little bit of high tide coming in, so... You can't really go on the beach right now due to the waves. But uh, from where I am sitting right now, while we record this podcast, I can actually see the waves coming in. So not a bad scene at all compared to my uh, sitting in a room or a closet at home. So I'll take this view any day of the week.
0: That is great. The Big 12 headed to Florida with Orlando. Derek, you're officially in Big 12 country out there. We appreciate everybody listening to the Heartland After Dark podcast. A quick reminder, if you enjoy the show, if you like the show, Go ahead and consider leaving a a rating on the show. If you send it our way, screenshot send the review over to Pete Mundo. That's Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. We will send you back a free Heartland College Sports koozie. We appreciate you guys listening, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.